Please join me for the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Turning to them, he said, whoever comes to me and doesn't hate father and mother, spouse and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even one's own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If one of you wanted to build a tower, wouldn't you first sit down and calculate the cost to determine whether you would have enough money to complete it? Otherwise, when you have laid the foundation but couldn't finish the tower, all who see it will begin to belittle you. They will say, here's the person who began construction and couldn't complete it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down to consider whether his 10,000 soldiers could go up against the 20,000 coming against him? And if he didn't think he could win, he would send a representative to discuss terms of peace while his enemy was still a long way off. In the same way, none of you who are unwilling to give up all of your possessions can be my disciple. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here and always, of course, to see my goddaughter. Those are some tough words we've got to talk about this morning. And so let's go to God in prayer and ask God to speak to us and to open our hearts for what God might have to say to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we've come together this morning to worship you. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would break down our resistance, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would remind us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made and that we are inseparably yoked to you who loves us. And then we ask that you would give us the courage to do what you called us to do so that the world might know that you are God and that you love and died for them. Speak, Lord, for your servants wait. Amen. So I have the privilege, as the director of the Center for Missional Excellence, of working directly for the bishop. And as you know, our bishop of the past 12 years, Janice Riggle Huey, retired effective Friday. And I was privileged to serve directly with her for six years, and now I have the privilege of serving with our new bishop, Scott Jones, uh, as he comes to serve us as well. When I took the position as the director of Center for Missional Excellence with Bishop Huey, I told her, Bishop, I will follow you anywhere. That's how highly I respect her. She's an incredible woman of faith. She's a woman of vision. She puts her money where her mouth is, has spoken and led prophetically, and I was honored to make that commitment to her in this position. Right before she retired, the cabinet gave her a present they gave her a gift certificate to go skydiving. We thought that would be a great symbolic way for her to jump into, fly into the next phase of her life after being a bishop for 20 years and a pastor for at least that many. 
And so two weeks ago, uh, we ended our cabinet meeting, our last cabinet meeting with the bishop early so that everyone could get in their cars and drive down to Rocheron, uh, to the airfield there, to watch Bishop Huey skydive, jump out of an airplane at 14,000 feet. I was the last one to get there. I'd gotten stopped on my way out of the office to take care of a few matters, and so I thought she'd probably already have gone up by the time I got there, but no, they were just beginning to suit her up and load up. And as I walked in to the waiting room, the entire cabinet was sitting there, including your DS, Kip Gilt, and as I walked in the door, he grabbed one arm, and, and Morris Mathis from Central North grabbed the other, and they walked me up to the desk and said, here, I need to fill out all these papers, and then I start signing this stuff, and I said, what am I doing? Oh, you're jumping with the bishop, and I I said, oh no, I'm not jumping with the bishop. You don't understand. I can't walk across a suspension bridge and look up at that without getting major butterflies in my stomach. And I certainly can't look down from a tall building without entering to what would be considered a state of panic. I am not jumping with the bishop. Yeah, Diane, somebody needs to. Well, one of you do it. No, no, we're not going to do it. And then of course the bishop walks over and said, Diane, please jump with me. <laughs> After all, didn't you say you'd follow me anywhere? <laughs> Shoot. So the next thing I know before I can even think about it, I am being suited up. I've been yoked inseparably to this tandem jumper named Numphy, and I'm in a plane with an open hatch and the bishop heading up to 14,000 feet, and I can hardly contain my terror. And so... As we got up, I was slid to the door, looking out in sheer panic, thinking, I am not jumping. And Numpy, my tandem instructor, yells in my ear, Diane, I know you're afraid. No kidding. <laughs> Trust me, I know what I'm doing, and I know you don't and I'm going to get you out of the plane. But here's what you need to do. You need to lean as hard as you can back into me and let me throw you out of the plane. <laughs> well, at that point, the bishop had already gone. I promised her I was coming after her. I'm sitting in the doorway, so I did what he told me to do. I trusted him. And I leaned back as hard as I possibly could, and he threw us out of the plane. And I have to tell you, it was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome! But I would never have done it if I had not made that commitment and I had not been willing to trust one who knew better than I did. I wonder if that commitment that I made to the bishop is not unlike the commitment we make to follow Jesus. We mean it with all of our hearts. We commit ourselves to this one who we know loves us and made us and died for us, but we really didn't mean that, right? We have a definition in our minds of what that includes, and then all of a sudden, God asks us, to jump out of a plane, to do something we're afraid of, to do something that would threaten our sense of security, 
to do something that might mean we might have to welcome someone we're not sure we like, someone who might change the game. We might have to give up some of our possessions. Life as we have defined it might end up being different. And we say, whoa, 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 wait. I'm not sure I want to do that. We're in a really tough time right now as a nation, as a church, and God is calling us to be peacemakers. God is calling us to speak with a different voice than the political rancor that's going on around us and all the call to live into our fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And God is asking us to lean hard into the gospel, to lean hard into our faith, that the one we, we read it this morning, the one who made us, who formed us, who will never leave us or forsake us, the one to whom we are inseparably bound. When God asks us to jump out of the plane, we just have to lean in hard and let God take us where we don't want to go. And God promises it will be awesome, right? So this morning, I want us to go back through the Bible a little, and I actually want to give you a challenge. We know all these stories from the Bible, and they're so familiar to us that sometimes we don't even see them anymore. And these are all familiar stories we're going to talk about. I want you to go back and look at them again and read all the stories of the Bible with this question. What did it cost them? What were they asked to do that actually, if you think about it, was probably pretty terrifying? And how did they do it? Let's start with Abraham. Abraham's our hero, right? Abraham believed God and was counted to him for righteousness, but what did that mean? Now think about it. Abraham is an outstanding citizen in the city of Ur. Ur. He's a prominent man. He has power. He has privilege. He has wealth. He has friends. He has a community. Life is set for Abraham. And then God comes along and messes the whole thing up. Do you remember? God called to Abraham and said, Abraham, pack up your stuff. Say goodbye to your friends. Say goodbye to your job. Say goodbye to your power. Take your family and go. Well, now, wait a minute, God, where are we going? You just go. You're not going to tell me where we're going and how we're going to pay for it or what's going to happen and what am I going to do? No, Abraham, I want you to trust me and go. You want me to do what? Can you imagine the conversation even with his wife, right? With his servants, with his community? Abraham, you're doing what? You're going where? I don't know. But Abraham believed God. And Abraham leaned hard into his faith. And Abraham went, not knowing where he was going and never seeing the promise fulfilled. Would you do that? What about Esther? She's my heroine, right? She's in the king's court. But let's think about Esther's situation. Esther was a concubine in the king's harem. And it just so happened that the king liked her best. She was beautiful. But she also did exactly what she was told. She came when she was called, and she didn't cause any trouble. And she's living in luxury. She's got it made. 
And then she finds out about an unjust law. The king signed it. The king is seeing that it's enforced and it's harming people. Now Esther has to make a choice. She's got it set. Why should she ruffle any feathers? And besides that, she's a woman. She has no right to ask the king for anything and she certainly can't enter his presence if the king doesn't invite her. As a matter of fact, if she does that, she breaks the law and the penalty's death. Now what are you gonna do? Esther has to make a choice and it's a hard one. And so she prays and she fasts and she gets her community to pray and fast with her and Esther walks into the king's presence uninvited challenges the law and gets it changed. It worked out pretty good. But the moment she stepped in, that, in, that, in the king's court, she didn't know that. The queen before her, who had not done what the king said, was banished. She leaned hard into God. She knew what she needed to do. She was afraid, but she trusted that it was the right thing and that God would honor her if she obeyed. Tough stuff. Moses, another hero, but let's think about Moses' situation. He's the son of slaves. Ends up in Pharaoh's court and is raised actually as the adopted grandson of Pharaoh. He's got it made, and then he messes up. Boy, does he mess up. He goes out and he murders an Egyptian and has to flee for his life. He ends up in Midian, meets Jethro, meets Jethro's daughter, gets married, has a job, has kids, life is good. And then this burning bush shows up. Right? And God says, hey Moses, guess what? You're going back to Egypt. Whoa, wait a minute. I'm a wanted man there. The Hebrews don't like me and neither do the Egyptians. You want me to go back there? Yep. And you know what else I want you to do, Moses? I want you to walk into Pharaoh and say, let all those slaves go free. You know all those slaves that are the basis of your economy? I'm taking them with me. Right, God, sure, yeah. Oh, and by the way, God, I can't talk. Can you imagine you want me to do what? And so Moses had to lean hard into his faith that God had called him and God would somehow enable him to do what he was being called to do. He didn't want to go there. He was afraid. And get this, it takes seven plagues I mean, the first time he goes in and does a miracle, it, it works, but it doesn't change anything. So, you know, what we would do, okay, that plan didn't work. We're going to quit and go do something else. No, God said do that. So he goes back again and again and again, and he doesn't quit until he gets the job done. And he walks out of Egypt with the entire economy of Egypt in his wake. He leaned hard into God. Let's think about Abigail. You probably don't know Abigail. Go find her. She's one of the sort of unknown women in the Bible. David is out in the wilderness. He's to become king, but Saul's still on the throne, and Saul is hunting David. 
So David is out in the wilderness with his army. Now, hospitality in biblical times was, was crucial. And hospitality meant that if a stranger came and needed food, water, and shelter, you gave it to him. So David and his men need water, they need food, they need shelter. And so David sends two messengers to Nabal, who is a wealthy man in the desert, who has plenty to share, more than he needs, and asks that Nabal give food, water, and shelter to David and his men. And what does Nabal say? No way! This is my stuff. Go back where you came from. I'm not sharing this with you. I don't know who you are. You might come in here and harm me. And so the messengers go back and say, no, Nabal's not willing to share what he's got. And so David assembles his men, and they march towards Nabal's camp, and they're going to kill the entire group, right? Abigail is... Nabal's wife. She has no power. She has no authority, but she knows what's happened isn't right. And so she says a prayer to God. She puts all this food together. She gets water and she gets wine and she has her servants help her. And she goes out to meet this marching army by herself and says, forgive us. Here's food. Here's shelter. We will take care of you. And she saves thousands of people. But let me tell you something. She didn't know whether David was going to kill her or her husband, what he would do, because she decided to obey God. She had to lean hard into her faith. Abigail is a heroine in the Bible. And what about Mary? We all love Mary. You know, the, we have these nice little serene pictures. Mary gets to be the mother of Jesus, which was an awesome thing. But if you think that was easy, whew. And imagine Mary, this young girl, she's just gotten engaged. She's thinking about her wedding. She and Joseph have plans together. They're going to have a home. He's going to work as a carpenter. They're going to raise their kids. They're just going to have a nice life here in Nazareth, right? And then this angel shows up and says, Mary, uh, got another plan here. You're going to have a baby. And you're going to tell people, because it's true, that God's the Father. Right. Who's going to believe that? And, and oh, by the way, angel, do you not, uh, are you familiar with Hebrew law? If I get pregnant and I'm not married, the penalty's death, and it's death by stoning, and that's a horrific death. Mary would have been totally within her rights to say, no way. But that's not what she does. She leans hard into her faith. She knows what she's facing, and she says, let it be according to your will. And then we have the disciples. They spent three years going, you want us to do what? That's us. Jesus said, touch the lepers, heal them. What? Do you know if we touch a leper, we're unclean then, and then we can't go to church, and then we can't go to our job, and we can't hang out with our friends? You want us to do what? Welcome a prostitute into our dinner? Wait a minute. What about our reputation? Do you know what people will say? You want us to do what? You want us to do what? There's 5,000 men, all of their wives and all of their children. 
So we're talking about probably 20,000 people. And you want us to feed them with five little biscuits and two fish? What? We don't have the resources to do that. When we get the stuff, we'll take care of it. No. Lean hard. Lean hard into your faith, he says to the disciples. Trust that what I've asked you to do, you can do. But you've got to decide to step out in faith, right? Those are hard things. We're being asked to do hard things. How are we going to do them? The political environment has us, invites us, encourages us to live into our fear. We don't have enough stuff. If we welcome those people, they might hurt us. What about this? What about that? And God's saying, these are people for whom I died, and I've asked you to take care of them. We have immigrant families who are at risk, who need a place, who are fleeing tremendous, horrific violence. And God's asking us to welcome them, to find a way. Over 27 million people in the world today, more than ever in history, are enslaved. And it's here, in sex trafficking, in labor trafficking. We can't do anything. What do we do about that? I don't know, but God said, go. I'll go with you. Yeah, it's scary, but I will take care of you, and I've called you to do it. We have kids who are living in poverty and who don't have preschool and don't have enough nutrition. And so by the time they enter kindergarten, they are thousands, tens of thousands of vocabulary words behind those of us, our children, who we can afford to send to a full-time preschool. And they never catch up. And we now know the data's all there that by the third grade, kids coming out of poverty who aren't at reading level are in the prison pipeline. We could change that. We're Methodists. We know how to do preschool. <laughs> we do. Not for them. Well, how will we pay for it? We don't have enough resources. Do you have five biscuits and two fish? Can you lean hard into God and figure it out? Right? Disasters. Oh my gosh. Memorial Day, two, a year ago, I hired three staff people at my center just to deal with the disasters. They've been working around the clock for a year, and it's still happening. We just had Baton Rouge. How are we going to do that? You still got Holiday Lakes over here. They're not done. They still need help. But, oh, we're getting a call to Baton Rouge, so we, we could we do both? We got five loaves and two fish. Think God could help us figure out how to take care of all of them? Right? You sell all your possessions? Do I have more than enough? Do you have more than enough? God's calling us. We have tremendous challenges in front of us, but what an opportunity to be the church, to lead the way, to lean hard into our faith, to lean hard into the one who has inseparably yoked 
himself to us and let God throw us out of the plane. We can do that or we can live into our fear and say, no way, right? That's what I put in front of you today. I don't know what God is calling this church to do, but I do know this. God puts you in this place for a reason. And there's something that God's calling you to do that's not going to be easy. It may be a little frightening. You won't be able to figure out where the resources are coming from, but God's saying, lean hard into me and go. And that's our invitation today, to lean hard in and follow the one who loves us and gave himself for us so that others might have life. Amen.